Hi there, and welcome back to the Values in Vino podcast. Have you ever met someone and just felt an instant connection to them, like you've known them forever? That's what it was like with this episode's guest, Brian Halusim. He's the Senior Managing Director of the West Coast with Bernstein Private Wealth, a huge asset management firm with $800 billion in managed assets. It was during our lunch meeting that I was reignited with a recruiting technology idea I had had two years back and that I've been working on since our meeting a few months ago. What else do I love about Brian? He used to be an NCAA basketball coach, and he shares amazing advice to those who are curious about transitioning their career from sports. I do apologize in advance that the sound gets a little weird from time to time during this recording, but it's still worth the listen. Don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review to let us know what you think. This is the Values in Vino podcast where we believe that shared values bring people together and values misalignment can keep people apart from one another, including themselves. So we'll be here discussing what values are, how people can discover their values, and how we all can live within those values personally and professionally. Did I mention there may be some wine drinking? If you love values or wine as much as we do, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of the Values in Vino podcast. Hey, Brian. Hey, Kat. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the Values in Vino podcast. I, I know you're so busy, and I'm glad you made time for me. I feel extra special. Uh, anything for you. Oh, that's so sweet. I mean, considering um, we've, like, had lunch one time, um, I consider you, like, one of my favorite people these days. Um, and I just want the audience to know, kind of have an idea of how we met. And, and just quickly, so you're the Senior Managing Director of Bernstein Private Wealth Management for the Los Angeles office, correct? Yeah, so I oversee our business in the Western United States. Yeah, so okay. that includes a few other places, geographies, so I get to travel a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, that's it. And um, you've been married for an eternity, and you I just have. celebrated your 20th wedding anniversary. We did. We did. We've actually been together for even longer. I dated her for seven years uh, prior. It took me a little while to figure it out, but... So you've so you dated her since you were like twelve, basically. Yes. Yeah, basically, <laughs> we were like children. That is like unheard of, by the way, um, especially in LA where we're at um, for a marriage yeah. to, to last that long. And you're like, I mean, one of the things I learned about you very quickly was how in love you were are with her. And I was like, I, I did hashtag goals when I left there, and you have four children who are how old are they so i have 17 13 uh almost 14 12 and 8 so i have three boys and a girl 
Awesome. And I mean, we're going to get to how you how, how you can how you even manage all of that um, with the position that you're holding. But we met because um, you're in YPO with um, like a partner slash friend slash client of mine. And he ended up sending, bless his heart, um, like a group email. Uh, he realized there was like recruiting stuff and he introduced all of us and I, I had known about some, some of the people in the group already, um, and then I, I looked you up on LinkedIn, and I was like, basketball, it's over. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so I reached out to you because I, I, I knew that that was going to be a bond that we were going to have. But before we get into that, let's talk about the wine that we're about to embark on. Got it right here. Okay. So this is, it's Penfolds, and it's um, a Bin 28, well, it's from Bin 28. It's a 2018 Kalimna Shiraz. Have you had this before? I haven't. I've had Penfolds, but not this one. Okay. So as I, I was telling you earlier, I'm not, I'm not typically a Shiraz fan, but I'm going to give it a try. I love the sound. I, I, I don't know if I say this every episode, but I love the sound of wine pouring. <laughs> Only good things happen after a wine pour. Okay, cheers. I, 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 love, I love the glass. Cheers. Oh, yay. You got it. Love it. Cheers. Let's give it a try. Cheers. It's not bad. That's good. Yeah? Yeah. Not bad. And I'm not a big wine person, but I like this brand. Yeah, I I like wine. Typically not at you know eleven in the morning on a Wednesday, but it's gonna be a good day, I think. <laughs> yes, it is. Lunch will be extra special. <laughs> it will be. It will be. Um, all right. So back to basketball. So you used to be an NCAA basketball coach. That was, that was the reason why I felt extra special about that connection that Billy made for us. Um, you're now, you know, senior managing director, West coast of Bernstein private wealth, um, which is a huge wealth management company. I, I, um, is it like 600 billion in assets? 800, 800 plus. 800 okay so that's grown since the last time i did research on it yeah um so it's ma it's massive basically i mean how did you like when and how did you transition from this like sports career to the one you have now like where were you in your life what made you decide to take this route and was there um was there overlap um uh, no so uh, I was, so after coaching college ball, um, I, I realized that it was going to be a tough life, a lot of travel, um, a lot of recruiting, a lot of scouting. And most importantly, uh, if you wanted to rise within the ranks, which I did, you would have to take a job and that job could be anywhere in the country. And I was dating my wife at the time, cause we'd been together since we were like eight. And, um, <laughs> I called her and I said, you know, I got a really interesting job offer, but I'd have to move. And I asked her if she'd be interested in moving. 
And the answer was really no. And I didn't, I was sort of mature enough to be thoughtful about like what life would be like if I had kids and, you know, if I, you know, was married and I saw the lifestyle of a coach and I admire them a great deal and I still uh, talk to many of them, but it wasn't the life that I wanted. And I figured that out really fast. Um, and so I decided like, I, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do next. And actually I got a job at Campbell Hall as the head coach there and helped rebuild that program. Um, really enjoyed it, but um, had other aspirations. And one of them was to po potentially get into finance. At the time, myopically to manage money for, for athletes. Um, but that's obviously broadened. And Campbell Hall was actually amazing to me. They um, helped pay for part of my MBA. They gave me opportunities to build a business there. They allowed me to help them build revenue streams, but I was really clear that like when I was done with my MBA, I'd like to get into finance. And when I was done, I started doing the tours and I ended up at, at Bernstein. And I'll tell you a little, a little bit later, basketball has been the connector of all. Um, but, uh, but that's sort of how it, how it ended up. And um, I talked to a lot of my coaching buddies uh, and, you know, they, they're living that life and it's wonderful you know when if as we're all very passionate about coaching but at the same time there's a lot of sacrifices and so you have to you have to really admire that well I mean I always look for the triggers and values um, when you say like yes I respect you know people who make a career out of coaching um, but I think what it sounds like is it came down to personal values for you and and even though you loved coaching, um, like in what order was that going to be in your totality of your own values? And so it sounded like um, family, which I, I, I know enough about you to know that family is probably, if not like your top value um, and the sacrifices that you've made to maintain that as your top yes. value. Um, and and so it's I I. I, I find that to be impressive that you had the foresight to see that at that age, um, which I don't think that's very common for someone who's in the industry of sports um, and that age. And to, to you did this was before kids, before marriage, and you were able to. I was, I was see twenty-two. That. Yeah, I was twenty. I was twenty-two. I was. Um, we were, we were, I think at the time, one of the youngest staffs, if not the youngest staff in the country at Cal State Northridge. Mm -hmm. And, um, is it, it, you know, you, you just sort of observe and you talk to friends and mentors and, you know, all of them had the same story, which was, you know, I don't really see my kids a lot. My, you know, it's like the off season and all of that. And I grew up with a really close family and I just decided not not really the life that would be conducive it was clearly wasn't what my wife wanted she didn't want to move around the country and that's what we would have to do to get to the pinnacle uh and i wouldn't want anything other than that right yeah when i was 22 i was trying to find out ways to not throw up at the club so, <laughs> <laughs> so we were very different your 22 year old self was very different than my 22 year old self so I just I think that that was such a gift for you to be in that place at that young of an age. Um, what 
I mean, so so you leave coaching, you go into finance, and it's not just like any kind of finance. This is kind of like Bernstein's kind of big time finance. What skills? I mean, I imagine you're already mature at 22, but what skills did you learn as an athlete or a coach that ended up showing up for you and how successful you you ended up being at Bernstein? Yeah. So first of all, one of the reasons that I ended up getting really lucky to be at Bernstein is they have probably one of the world-class training programs on the street by far. Everybody knows it. And so... As I was going through the interview process, I was like, well, you know, they're willing to invest the time and the money and really teach you. They weren't going to give me a phone, lock me in a room and say, go out and start cold calling people. Um, And I I wanted to culturally stay away from something like that as far as possible. And so, one, that that was really important. But, um, you know, through basketball, um, you know, you there are certain skill sets that you learn as a coach that translate. Uh, And prior to basketball, you know, I had built a business. um, uh, Even at one point at Campbell Hall, I built uh, a very large basketball camp. I created all the summer revenue programs at the school, Um, you know, very entrepreneurial. And so that, that was definitely a factor in wanting to get into a role of being an advisor at the time, where I knew that I'd have the ability to build my own business, Uh, I'd be able to go out there, uh, there were really no ceiling, and a lot of it was predicated upon being able to to network and leverage that network effectively um, and build trust over time, and hopefully they would trust in you and and potentially, you know, either give them, give you their assets or they would refer someone to you. And that's what coaching was. If you really think about it, coaching was going out and recruiting, um, you know, trying to know as many people as you possibly could that wanted to help you and maybe they would let you know where the talent was or or assist you in recruiting that talent. Um, Coaching was very process-oriented. It was about, you know, identifying a recruit, um, writing notes, following up, uh, doing everything you could to stay in contact with that person, but also showing them that you were going to add value hopefully above and beyond just basketball, like you were going to be a mentor in life. Um, scouting and, and, and getting prepared for games was a big part of, you know, the, the life lesson that I learned about, like, how important it was to just be over-prepared and, and be ready for what you did. And so I had a, I had built a pretty good network. I, knew, I wasn't afraid of, of no. Um, you know, I had actually some good experience, business experience, and Campbell let me do another thing too, which was I sat on um, a finance committee that they had when they were raising money for, for an endowment. And so I had all of the tools, but I was super green. And, and Bernstein came in and said, we'll train you, and there are a lot of people that will mentor you, and you're not going to go out there on your own. You're going to have a lot of skilled people around you, and um, that's that sort of was the avenue that I that I uh, ended up following, and and it worked, you know, especially in my first few years when I needed a lot of help. And and I mean, just you know, when we say you left this coaching career in basketball, you never left coaching. You know, you you just 
your your passion was coaching, but I think you at some point, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, you realize it doesn't have to be fundamentally basketball for you to feel like you have a purpose. Because because I know a large part of what you do today is coaching. Still, yes. you know these advisors, and um, I I can resonate with that. Um, being I was a coach, I was a high school girls coach, I was a, a high school and college basketball official, um, which comes with like a whole other set of soft skills that you end up, you know, obtaining because, you know, referees, nobody likes them. <laughs> um, and so I think I, I, I feel that, you know, athletes, um, a lot of times they, you know, they, they're athletes, they become coaches and they feel like this is the only way that they're going to feel purpose, which is through basketball. And, I know a ton of people who have really tried to make it in coaching after, you know, their player careers and you don't really make any money until you hit a certain level, which could take years to get to that level and like who, you know, and who you're out in front of. And, you know, there are some politics, obviously, Um, and a lot of them end up at some point just not making it and starting all over. But the issue is they're like. 40 already at the time. And so what advice would you like, do you have for current, you know, professional athletes or professional coaches? Um, Maybe talk about some conflicts you were having and how, how can they identify they're having this conflict and then how can they resolve it? Yeah. Um, Maybe. So before I, I, I jump on that, I, I want to say, um, Coaches are actually unbelievable business people because they're operating a business. A lot of people don't don't know that about coaches, but they are operating a company. Um, you're managing all these athletes, but at the same time, there are things that people don't understand. There's the financial aspect of coaching. There's a budget that you get in your basketball program. You have to be thoughtful about that. There's you know, expenses and travel, and you have to be thoughtful about how you allocate resources and where you spend your time, and you're building a brand. You're building a brand. Um, you know, really? Duke has built a brand. Kentucky has built a brand. Um, the Lakers have built a brand, and the Clippers have built a brand, and they're all different. And so usually it's the coach that's behind all of that. So number one, I would say there needs to be awareness around that. I, I was at, um, I coach all my kids, I've coached all of them, and I was at a tournament this weekend, and I ran into a college coach that was recruiting on one of the courts, and I went over and I introduced myself, I told him about my background, and he was really interested in this career in, in, in finance. Um, like many coaches, like me, he's probably not getting paid a lot of money, but doing a lot of very hard work, and even though he loves it, everyone's thinking about what life may look like after And so my response to you is going to be the response that I gave him, which is I actually think coaches are, they have one talent that a lot of people don't have, which is they're collectors of great people. And because throughout your life, you're meeting all kinds of people. You're meeting, if you're a college coach, you're meeting high school coaches, you're meeting all these different athletes, you're meeting people that are close to the athletes, there's the business component of it as well, and you're collecting 
a lot of really good people and you're hoping that that network over time adds value and helps you out. So I would say that, you know, the, the discipline, the execution that coaches, you know, learn how to, how to um, you know, deliver, uh, the ability to follow a process, preparation. I mean, my God, preparing for a client who has $80 million and just sold their company, and you've got to go in and you've got to make sure that all T's are crossed and all I's are dotted. All of that came from my background in, you know, making sure that, that I was ready for whatever it was, whether it was game prep or recruiting, all of that stuff. So my, my advice to, to people who are in athletics, and I'm talking a lot of athletes right now that are thinking about the next stage of their business um, and their life is collect really great people. You should want everyone, especially of quality, to be in your circle, and you want to stay in contact with them. And, and, and that's been a big part of what has helped me grow, not just my own personal business when I was an advisor, but in a lot of ways, coaching my advisors here in terms of growing their businesses. That's so smart. And I, I'm, I'm reflecting on my own experience of how true that is. Um, and, and, and you're, you're, you're asking them to be intentional about it. I don't know how intentional I was about it. It just happens because that's just the type of like personality you end up having being a coach. I mean, number one, especially if you're coach, you're coaching a team of, you know, 12, 15, 20, you know, for me, it was, was girls that going through puberty for you, it was, you know, they're a bit older and they're boys, but you know, when you talk about selling or like being a business, you're trying, you have to sell philosophies, which is not a, anything tangible, you know, like you have to get, you have to, sell them on this philosophy and sell them on the process, um, which they may not see the, the fruits of that labor until, you know, months into the season and then they finally get it and then it clicks. So I agree with you. I never thought about it that way. That's such a good way to think about it. And even recently this past weekend, um, I went out in San Diego and it was just a chance of like, Hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. Um, and, um, Rich asked me like, how, like, how do you know them? And it was through basketball 12 years ago, but that's how we stayed connected. It was just like a random, you know, a mutual friend played out of the country. We knew the league, we went there and now 12 years later with kids and everything, we're still finding ways to connect as if we never were disconnected all these years, even though I've seen them like a handful of times, probably in the last 12 years. So I love that. Um, and I think that's so important, like, for for current coaches or even athletes to start thinking about what their transition is going to be um, after they stop. Um, and Dad, so I, I think you'd find this. I think you'd find this interesting. Just real quick, I tell you this: when when I was trying to interview for firms, I didn't even know where to start. Yeah. And all of my players' parents happened to be in the industry or a few were and they were the ones who said we've been around you we get you you know you're driven you work hard um you know i got my mba obviously to also like fortify my background and make sure because like who was just going to hire a coach um i needed i needed like more of a resume but all the interviews i got 
were because of these people. And all of the mentorship I got were parents of like players, coaches and, 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 and people, you know, people don't know this, but like when you, when you go to the final four as a coach, you really don't care about the game. What you do is you go to the lobby. Usually it's like a big Hyatt Mm -hmm. and you're just networking, trying to get the next better job. And you're meeting all these coaches and you're meeting all these people and you're basically selling yourself. A lot of people don't know that. It's like speed dating. You just run around, you're shaking a lot of hands, you're telling them about your background, you're telling them what you've accomplished and all that stuff. People don't ever know that. And so a lot of these things that you learn, the people that you meet, you know, even for me, it was it, they're all sports related like you, Kat. You look back and you realize it. 100%. I, I, I never knew that. Actually, I didn't, I, I would thought I would be focused on the game, <laughs> but no. I see what you mean because it's the end of the season. No one's and, playing except for like four teams. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you've been with Bernstein since 20 years, 20 years. That, that is not usual. That seems to be your special number. I've, I've come to realize like 20 years yeah, <laughs> with <Number>. Melissa. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in that industry, like even just, you know, the short time I've been, you know, we've been recruiting for you all. There's like a lot of the resumes that come through are just people who have jumped around like every single year. And so why do you feel Bernstein is different? So first of all, when I, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I can look in the mirror and know that I'm always going to do the right thing for the client. Um, we're, we're, we're a unique place because we have all the resources of the largest firms in the world, but we only focus on one thing, which is managing money. We're not a big financial supermarket, mm-hmm. uh, and we're a legal fiduciary. So the level of responsibility that we have to the client is just a higher standard than most people in the industry. And that drew me initially uh, to the firm because I felt like it's really differentiated. I, I like that a lot, and I don't see that a lot. Um, you might see it with the smaller, like, RIAs, registered investment advisors, but they're going to lack a lot of the resources that you need to deal with the, the, the super affluent, the wealthy family. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that drew me to the firm was, you know, in addition to, like, only focusing on managing money, Bernstein was known for its research effort. In fact, we're the largest independent research firm in the world. And I I was just a big believer that intellectual capital was a competitive advantage if you're in the money management space. And we we had a great brand there. Um, I always want to be able to talk about something different. So we manage money differently than probably 99% of the firms out there. And I like telling that story the why behind our platform and the why behind the way we did it. Um, and, then, and then I was fortunate that early on I gravitated toward business owners and helped build sort of our brand now nationally uh, around the way we work with owners of closely held businesses, particularly when they go through an M&A event. And uh, I, I, we, we were really good at that. We specialize in it. We're uniquely uh, relevant to that world. And it's not just money management. And that's the final thing, which is we add a lot more value 
than just managing money. We're really thoughtful about you know, getting involved with these owners early, being, being really important to them as a resource, and then as their needs change, finding things either internal or external to the firm where we can make a real difference. And then ultimately, we've built so much trust, we're usually the ones managing the money. We're not even in a competitive situation. Got it. And for, I mean, Bernstein, obviously, you're working with a, a certain um, group of people. For our listeners um, who maybe are, wouldn't um, be qualified as a client for Bernstein, and they're looking to do something with their money, they want to work with a firm, what, like, how, what are some tips that, that you, they can take when they're starting to interview with different firms or advisors? Yeah, I mean, look, the first thing that I would say is um, I always want people to, when they're lit talking to a firm, to feel like the firm is first trying to solve their problem rather than deliver an immediate product, right? There, there's every, every client sort of needs a, a solution to whatever problem they have. But I would say early on, um, you know, keeping it low cost and keeping it really basic makes a lot of sense. And so for, you know, smaller uh, sort of clients, which are just as important as the large one, what, what you have to think about is, you know, first, have you built the right roadmap, uh, the right framework? Um, you know, investing is not just about throwing your money into an investment idea. Investing is about understanding like the client's needs you know are they spending money are they planning on retiring did they go through a divorce are they selling a company you know all these things and ultimately then building a portfolio around that the problem is a lot of people out there pay a boatload for what i would call fairly mundane advice which is one of the reasons why a vanguard has done really well in the environment that 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 they're in you have to be mindful about, um, you know, true diversification and being able to, to take advantage of that. I think right now you're seeing a lot of people that are concentrated in, like, hot ideas or getting into more speculative stuff. My view is that with money that's really important to you, you don't want to be a gambler. You want to be an investor. And there's a host of really interesting things out there, even above stocks and bonds now, that people have access to that need to be part of like a collective portfolio. And you just have to find the right person that has access to that, but is really focused on solving your problem. I like that. And um, I actually, that was, that's something that I really like to integrate into an interview process when recruiting for employees is I always encourage companies to identify what current problem they have like in that department and ask the, the candidate, hey, how would you solve this problem if we hired you? And if they if they're if they give a solution right then and there, you have very little reason to not hire them after that. Yep. They just saw they just brought value to your company. So I like that. And, you know, I think that um, number one, like we're in a pandemic. I don't like to use that word of like of people not managing their money or not understanding like one day you're going to get older one day you may not be able to work and what are you doing to prepare for that I feel like um it's almost like with death it's like you 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 don't understand how close it can be 
you know, um, you think everybody else is going to die and that you're going to live forever. It's the same thing. You're going to work forever and that's not the case. So I'm glad that we're talking about this because I think anybody with any kind of savings should look into having their money work for them to in any capacity. You don't have to have a ton of money to work with an advisor. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, of asset management companies, I love the show Billions. Do you watch that show? I have watched it, yes. Okay. So I have to tell you, the reason why I got onto that show is because there were like two people that said I reminded them of Wendy Rhodes. And so I'm like, I, I turn on episode one and spoiler alert, she's like burning her husband with cigarettes and pissing on him and whipping him. And I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> like, what's happening? Like, and they're like, keep watching it. I'm like, okay, awkward. Um, but also, you know, the show kind of exaggerates the thrill of and the things that the types of things that they do. Um, in order to maintain, you know, their portfolio, which I'm thinking as a coach, it's like a perfect career transition because you're going from thrill to thrill. You're just seeking thrills. I imagine it's not like that, though, in real life, is no. it? No, not at all. I think, okay. well, I mean, I don't, I, I've never worked inside of a hedge fund, and that's really what that show is all about. Yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, I think the money management business is full of a lot of colorful, colorful char uh, characters, but even with those types of personalities, um, you find the right firm. And this goes back to culture. Um, you know, there are, you know, the interesting part about the industry that a lot of people don't know is, and I'm not going to name names because I, I don't want to get a lot of shit for it. But <laughs> there are a lot of firms out there where there's a name of a firm but at the end of the day, inside of the firm are a lot of individual franchises. Mm -hmm. the, team, the team you hire at the firm branch in Beverly Hills could be sitting next to another team that has a completely different philosophy, doesn't do anything even remotely similar to the team sitting to their right or the left. So it ends up being you're hiring the culture of the team. The only division at this firm is a division of labor. That's it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that I re that's really important that I tell people who ultimately want to come work for us that that's a really important thing to say because it means that all of the people at this firm are invested in one thing, which is our clients doing better because if they do better, the firm does better, which means we all benefit. That's not the case at a lot of other places, and people don't know that. Mm -hmm. Got it. And that's like that, I think, in many, many industries with, with many uh, companies. The difference is, like, your industry is, you know, you're managing someone's saving, life savings and, and their future generational, you know, um, wealth that their kids and grandkids would live off of. So I think that's really important. I have one more question, two parts. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Oh, that's a big question. So I, I don't have to think about it. It's, it's Michael Jordan. I mean, I love Kobe and I love a lot of other people, but Michael Jordan is the greatest player like ever. I agree. Who's your favorite basketball player of all time? Kevin Durant. 
Interesting. Tell me why. I have never seen a guy who is like seven feet tall. And by the way, he is seven feet. Mm -hmm. uh, watch it. Watch him stand next to the centers in the NBA. So you got a guy who's seven feet tall. I fell in love with him when he was in at University of Texas. Mm -hmm. um, I saw this like scrawny seven foot kid that could handle the ball as good as like any guard. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we've ever seen an offensive player like him. That, and, and now NBA players are talking about it. Right, right. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being here. Kat, thank you for having me. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm honored that you uh, you asked. Oh, cut it out. You know, I was I was so, and I wrote it in my little note to you, um, I think there's just people you meet uh, and you just know. Like, I always... I always like to have fun with him and be like, I wonder how we knew each other in a past life, you know, yeah. but like you just yeah. feel like an instant connection an instant trust. You know, there are things that I've like sent to you and talked to you about that I have not talked to many people about. And I think there's I think that that is very rare. Those people come into your life. And so I like grasp on very, very quickly. At first, I was like you rolled up to lunch and you were wearing like loafers with no socks. And I was like, oh, here we go. Um, and then we sat down and I was like, why do you look younger than I do? It's, you know, we're like 10 years apart. And then you started talking. I'm like, all right, love this guy. The end. <laughs> I appreciate but, that. Don't, yeah, don't hold the no socks against me. It's kind of like my trademark. I, uh, it's like a joke. I actually, if you, I made a video last year. Um, it was called like, why your coworkers don't like you. And it's funny because that's one of like the parodies was was like, hey, like I like I like that you're wearing loafers with no socks and the person takes it like really personal. I'm going to send it to you. I think you'll get a kick out of it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening and we will see you on the next episode.